0: Our awareness opens in many different ways. We start this episode talking about one woman's journey from religion to spirituality, and where that journey has taken her. Welcome to Evolving Humans. I'm your host, Julia Marie, and this podcast is for visionary people like you who are exploring the true nature of reality and want to contribute to the global awakening. You seek to deepen the connection to your multidimensional self so that you can live a more conscious life. Sheila Lowe is an award-winning author who writes stories of psychological suspense that put ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. She's also a real-life forensic handwriting examiner and is a recognized expert in the court system. Her recent memoir, Growing from the Ashes, is her story of how she made the transition from a strict religious upbringing to a relationship with spirit and the lessons learned along the way. Welcome to Evolving Humans, Sheila. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I want to start with the basics. What prompted you to write your personal story at this time?
1: (laughs) Spirit did. It was not a story I wanted to write, and I resisted it for quite a few years but I kept getting messages through mediums when I would have readings sessions that I needed to write something autobiographical and uh, and so eventually I kept getting prodded enough and I finally last December I thought well maybe not doing this is stopping me from other things that I would like to accomplish maybe I better get it done and so I That's when I started writing.
0: That's a very wise insight. (laughs) I've found the same thing to be true. There's the next thing we need to do, and if we choose not to do it, then the thing that's supposed to follow doesn't manifest. So Mm. good on you for paying attention.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was finally hit upside the head with a two by four, I think.
0: Yes, but at least there wasn't a nail in it. (laughs) So you talked about some early brushes with the other side, and the impact those had on you. So what was it like being young Sheila in a house where those experiences weren't necessarily accepted?
1: I don't think for a long time that I was really conscious, you know, looking back, I see those things, but, um, it was more frightening for me because in the religion in which I grew up, which was Jehovah's Witnesses from the age of seven, Uh, which was when my mother started studying with the witnesses, I was always taught that any contact with the spirit world was demonic. You know, you're you're demonized if you're in touch with with spirit. In fact, even meditation, we were told, never empty your mind because the demons will come in and take over.
0: Well, that's frightening. Um, (laughs)
1: Very frightening.
0: Because you mentioned, I believe it was, Seeing your grandpa? Was it your yes. grandfather? Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: <laughs> I don't know if it was actually seeing him. And and I don't have an independent recollection, but what I was always told was I was three years old, and in the middle of the night my parents found me sitting in the living room on the couch, and they asked me what I was doing there, and I said Grandpa died. And the next morning they found out that my father's father had indeed died. So that was the first time, a first contact or whatever you want to call it.
0: Now, did you have anyone at all in your household that would support that kind of experience or were you on your own? Well, if I had
1: been able to access that, my grandmother, my mother's mother, would have been very supportive because she was into spiritualism. She used to have spiritualists come to the house when my mother was very young. But my mother, for whatever reason, was terrified of them and used to hide under the table until they had gone. She was four years old at the time. But my grandmother was always interested because she would have experiences like one that I was often told by my mother that when she was ill, she was my grandmother was apparently ill quite a lot. And she was ill in bed and she would see a white hand floating around the bed, which she found really comforting. But she did see spirit because in a particular house that she moved into, she saw this lady, an elderly lady walking around and she asked the vicar when he came to tea about this lady. And he said, Oh, yes, that was, I think her name was Mrs. Green. He said she died here. So my grandmother was not at all afraid of that sort of thing.
0: And yet somehow your mother came to Jehovah's Witnesses, which is at the exact opposite end of the spectrum. Well, my
1: mother was interested in the Witnesses because my father was Jewish, and so she said to them, if you can convince my husband that Jesus was our Savior and the Son of God, then I'll study with you. That was how she got involved with them.
0: Would you please talk a little bit about that event that changed your relationship to the other side once and for all?
1: Yes, um, I had a very troubled relationship with my daughter for various reasons. And um, we were actually just growing a lot closer. She was 27. In fact, she came up, uh, she wanted me to see the movie, The Sixth Sense, the one with Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And she, because she knew about my fears for the other side, and she was very interested in the spirit world. And at that time, by then I had left the religion. And so I was more open to it. So we went to that movie and she was watching me to see how I would react. Well, it was about maybe two months later. She was killed by her boyfriend who was a um, federal agent working for what was then the INS, which is now Homeland Security. And he killed himself too. And so that event really made me want to know what happens when we die. And so I started investigating and exploring, reading books and, um, you know, contacting spirit mediums that I had known before.
0: After her passing, did she come through for you?
1: She did right away. I think one of the first things that night after I heard about it was my phone rang It was my house phone and I picked it up it was like 11 o'clock at night and all I could hear was this loud static but I could hear in the distance a voice I couldn't tell what it was saying over the static but eventually you know I couldn't hear and then it, it was like somebody hung up and then my cell phone rang and the same thing happened and I knew that it was her (laughs)
0: <laughs> that soo- that sounds almost like the EVP phenomena that people are talking about now. That it happened yeah, well, naturally. She did that too, much later. But yeah. I mean, that is fascinating. The first way she came through was literally mm. using yeah. that same modality. Yes, that's um, true. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. No, as a, as a medium, because I am one who does do that kind of communication... Often there'll be one thing that this that the communicator has that they're really good at, and they tend to use that repeatedly as their way of connecting. So I was just curious.
1: Well, she, she spent uh, a lot of time on the phone, so it's perhaps oh, well, not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> and there were there were many other things, some of which I described in the book. You know, like her scent. I would suddenly get a, a whiff of her perfume, and it was a perfume that she had asked me to buy her for Christmas. It was uh, Tresor, I still have the little perfume bottle that I gave Mm -hmm. her sitting on my dresser. At the funeral, we were walking up the hill behind the hearse, and then her uncle and my sons and the others who were pallbearers took out the casket from the hearse, and as we were walking to the gravesite, her uncle's car alarm went off. Out, you know, not near us, mm-hmm. but we can hear. And um I just, I just said to my husband at the time, "There she is; she's letting us know she's here."
0: Electronics again. Yeah, so, nobody, nobody yeah. was near the car. Nobody, mm-hmm. he wasn't touching
1: his keys. It just happened spontaneously.
0: I'm sorry for your loss. My father said something when my brother passed, and that is. I never thought I'd outlive my child. Yes. And it's a it's a particularly painful kind of loss. So
1: not something that you can ever prepare for. No.
0: You're not supposed to outlive your children. That's not the order the natural order of things is you go first. Yeah. In the book you showed some images from Uh, Sonia Sonia Rinaldi, Rinaldi. would you mind mind talking about that a little bit? Yes, they're
1: just wonderful.
0: Um, In, I think it was
1: 2017 or 18, I went to the Afterlife Research Education Institute A.R.E.I. They held a symposium in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I went and there I attended uh, a talk by Sonia Rinaldi who is a medium and a scientist in Brazil. And she was showing, uh, photos, uh, you know, a presentation of these images that she was getting from the other side. She, what she does is she takes a photo of the person who has crossed over. And I, I can't say exactly how she does it, but it's something anybody can do using, um, a smartphone and i can't remember exactly how to describe this but she would ask you know asking that particular spirit to come through and they will come through on her computer screen or on her phone and she'd be taping it um videotaping it for Mm -hmm. maybe a minute Mm -hmm. and then she'd look at each of the frames and in some of them you would see the person you can see that it's the same person but it's not the same photo that they sent. They may be older, they may be younger. They may be looking in a different direction. Yeah. She, she wanted to do a project of mothers who had lost children. And so I became one of what she called her 30 moms. And she sent me some really several pictures over time. First, when she first started, they were more like black and white grayscale. Uh-huh. But over a couple of years, they started coming in color, and they're just beautiful. And I've seen hundreds of them of different people, not just Jennifer.
0: That's interesting. So again, the, it's almost as if the spirit world is learning how to work with that opportunity or that medium. Yes.
1: Well, they tell her different things to try. They uh-huh. experiment with her.
0: Uh-huh. And one
1: of the one of the people on the other side she's working with is Nikola Tesla who oh, certainly well. knows a lot
0: about electricity and, and, and that sort of thing. That might explain some of her really good results. I was just fascinated <laughs> by the images. They were beautiful.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you have to see them in, in color. I don't know if I should. I've probably showed you in color. Then she was doing some of men, and I was lucky enough to get in on that with my ex-husband who had crossed, I think it's been three years ago now, and the pictures that came through of him, they're not photographs, they're images. They have to, the spirit yes. sort of has to recreate what they remember of how they looked on this side. And I was just stunned by the photos or the images of, of my ex-husband.
0: So they must somehow be, it's almost like, it feels like they're almost embedding their image in the, in that mm. somehow, cause it's digital. So. Oh, that's a whole other topic for another day. Okay, yeah, love to talk to Sonia. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I felt like I wanted to mention those because it would seem to me what better proof of life? Because sometimes, as a medium, I can draw the images of the people. I can mm-hmm. an image speaks more than words can. But to be able to have that kind of a proof. That's, that's generated by the communicators themselves. That's pretty, that's pretty remarkable, actually. Well,
1: you know, when they say a picture is worth a thousand words, they're not kidding, whoever they are.
0: What's the most important takeaway or message that you would like that book to convey?
1: That there is no death. There is life after earth. I think for me, that's the most important thing. Our loved our loved ones are still right there, just as alive as ever. And A medium once said to me that what was shown to her was just like opening a door and walking through to another room, and things were very much the same, only much, much better.
0: Mm-hmm. We're going to segue now from your memoir, because you do write, yes, you have a couple of other nonfiction books out there about handwriting <laughs> analysis and that kind of stuff, but you also write fiction. I'd like to talk a little bit about that journey if you don't mind. I know your day job is as a forensic handwriting examiner. That's for another episode. For now, I just want to hear how you went from handwriting analysis to writing fiction.
1: Well, it was probably the other way around. Yeah, I always wanted to be a writer, uh-huh. but it just didn't happen. I was writing technical papers about handwriting analysis okay. for a long time but I wanted to get a book published before I was 50. People kept saying, oh, you need to write a book. My first two books were about about handwriting nonfiction. But I started in 1997, I started writing a fiction book, and it was about a handwriting analyst. It's funny because you mentioned already the name of one of my books, Proof of Life. Hmm. That's one of my more recent ones, where I switched from writing about a handwriting analyst To a new series that's called Beyond the Veil, about a young woman who talks to "quote unquote" dead people. I wrote this book in 1997. I started writing Poison Pen, which was about uh, a forensic handwriting analyst who does work very much like mine. And then I put it away. I didn't know what I was doing. And then a friend talked me into entering it into a competition, and it won third place out of 97 mystery stories. And that was around the time that my daughter was killed. So I got it out again and finished the book. And then I tried for seven years to get it published. And long story short, very long, torturous path <laughs> to publication. It was, it was published by a small publisher and they sent it out for review and it got a starred review in publishers weekly, which is apparently a very big deal. And that brought it the attention. Of a senior editor at Penguin, and so they bought Penguin bought the first four books in the series, and I figured I must be on my way.
0: In the that was the handwriting analysis series, no. right? Or just any oh, the four seri- books? Yes,
1: yeah. the the series Poison
0: Pen, yes. written
1: in blood, Dead Right, and Last Rites with yes. W R I because they're all a pun on writing.
0: Yes, your protagonist Claudia Rose is. A handwriting examiner, correct?
1: Yes, she is.
0: Okay, well, I wonder who she's modeled after.
1: (laughs) But she's not me. She's much (laughs) more adventurous or perhaps foolhardy. (laughs) You know, it's the case when you see the TV show or the movie and you're going, don't go down in the basement.
0: Oh, yes. So, of course, the person's going to go down in the basement. So you have the forensic handwriting series with Claudia Rose, and you do have the Beyond the Veil series series. Who's the, is there a single protagonist there too, as well?
1: Yes. In t- 2013, when I was between publishers, I wrote what I thought was a standalone book called What She Saw. And it's about a young woman who wakes up on a train with amnesia. And that's always been a subject that fascinated me. And later, when I was trying to avoid spirit telling me to write my autobiography, I thought, well, maybe what I could do is tell the stuff that I know from a fictional point of view. And so I wrote this book called Proof of Life. And as I was writing it, oh, and I had been told by several psychics that my daughter would be working with me on this book, which she did. As I was starting to think about the book, it occurred to me that the girl, the young woman in what she saw needed to be the protagonist. And even though what she saw is not a book about spirit, It's become the prequel. So now this is five years later, and this young woman has been resisting what she's been hearing from spirit.
0: Oh, that sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I learned the hard way. You can run, but you can't hide. Once they know you (laughs) can perceive them, they're very persistent. And the other thing that's interesting to me about what you just said is your daughter worked with you on that book. Mm -hmm. And you're one of many people and all of the examples that are coming to my mind now are actually parents and children where the person, the child, once they cross somehow becomes involved in a cooperative, co-creative project or effort with their loved one still here. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it seems to be. A common, more common pattern than at first glance one would think. Yeah, oh yeah, there's a, quite a few, I can't rem- remember the names of them offhand, but quite a few books that have been children either talking to or working with their parents to publish something about the hmm. other side.
1: Well, you know, I thought when they said she's going to work with you, it would be like, um, you know, she's Throwing ideas at me and I'm going to be tired. It wasn't like that. It was Uh like every now and again, I would have a question about what I've done this. What, how should I resolve this? And then I got sort of a download Uh of information that was perfect. And in the same book, my, the man that I had been dating had died and he showed up too and wanted to be in the book.
0: It's a phenomenon that I think we're going to see more of. And if we pay attention, there's probably quite a lot of it out there already. Where can people find your books? You have eight fiction books for them to read. 11. And 11 now. Okay. Well, so eight, almost eight a dozen. Cla- yeah. That's there's right. Eight,
1: eight in the Claudia series and three in the Beyond the Veil vale series. Okay.
0: You have almost a dozen for them to explore where can they find these books
1: uh well they should be able to find them anywhere books are sold they're certainly on amazon and they're in paperback ebooks and audiobooks all of them if, if they're not in a the bookstore they can be ordered
0: okay and so how could listeners connect with you if they wanted to know more about what you do i have two websites
1: the one for is Sheila Lowe Books, which is obviously for my books, and they can sign up for my newsletter there. And the other one is just my name, SheilaLowe.com, and that one is dedicated to handwriting analysis.
0: So I just want to thank you for joining us today, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Me too. Thank you. We've come to the end of our time once more, and I want to thank you for continuing to listen to Evolving Humans. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend so we can reach more people and bring more light to the world.